Thank you. It's really good to be here at, at, at your meeting again. I've spoken spoken to this group um, for the last decade or more, and so it's, a, it's not the same people, but it's the, the same group, and I see you've got the new time. But anyway, I appreciate your inviting me, and I was told to speak on something that, that might get you more excited about the Lord and be able to, to draw a little bit closer to Him. So I want to talk about the life of David and something that I've been reflecting on. Uh, I've been reflecting particularly on the mercies of God that, that uh, uh, worked with David in spite of, of the things that David himself did. David at the time period was, as you know, as you might know, was running from King Saul. And in his fleeing from King Saul, and uh, God had given him many victories. Whenever Saul would get close, he would, he would get away. But at one point in his life, without any prayer, he makes his decision. And this is after tremendous delivery, where God had delivered him from getting trapped by King Saul, who was trying to kill him. He, had, he was traveling with 600 other men, and they had their families with them. He had his two wives at that time uh, with him. And, and uh, he was fleeing. And it says in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27, it says, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me to do than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel. And I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, and the 600 men who were with him, to Ashish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Ashish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the Carmelite, Nabal's widow. So, he takes off. There is no prayer. You know, here he had this tremendous life of prayer. He had plenty of access in prayer. He had the, the uh, Urim was with him in the ephod. This was this breastplate that God would speak through in the Old Testament to the priests because the priests had fled because Saul had killed all the priests and there was only uh, uh, one surviving actually with him and, and fled with the breastplate. So he had access to that. He had two prophets with him. He had uh, Gad and he had Nathan. So there's plenty of opportunity to hear from the Lord, but he, he stopped seeking that methodology and he just took off. And you see that what happened to David is very similar to what happens to us sometimes. We can be really excited for the Lord and then all of a sudden get this, this fear that this just can't work anymore. I mean, yeah, God has brought me this far, but I'm sure he's not going to bring me any further. And he just all of a sudden took off. And you wonder, he flees to the enemies of Israel, to the Philistines, and he flees to the city of Gath. Who was from the city of Gath? What famous person? Goliath. He had killed Goliath about five years earlier. And he goes back to the city from which Goliath came. He had once before fled to that city and people recognized him and he had to feign madness and get out of there by the skin of his teeth. He just, just almost died in that. And now he goes right back into it. And you wonder, why do I at times go right back into situations I know were harmful to me in the past? And then when he goes there, he lives there for 14 months, and then at, at one point, what happens is, he's, he's spending a few days away from the camp, so his wife and his wives and the children and all the men's wives and children are there. The men go off, and then they come back three days later. 
only to discover, after three days, they discover that um, there's been a raid on the camp by the Amalekites. The Amalekites had made, had made a raid on the land, and they had taken his two wives, they had taken the wives of the other men that were there, and they took off. There was nothing left. And so it says, Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. Then he took captive the women and all who were in, they had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will secure all. So, David and his men come back. Everything is gone. Is anybody here married? Okay, so you have a wife. If, if you went home and your wife was gone, someone had taken your wife, how would you feel? Absolutely enraged. Yes, absolutely enraged. And you might, and if, if you felt that she's been taken away and you'd never see her again, would you weep until there, were no, there, there was no more strength left in you? Yeah. yeah. So would I. So, no matter how much we would go through, David went through twice as much because he lost two wives in this. So, you know, this has is, this is really impacted him. And now what happens is the men that were with him, it says the men who had gathered to him, it says earlier in, in the book of 1 Samuel, that they were in distress, they were, they were in debt, they were discontent. So, you know, these weren't nice Christian guys that, that were surrounding David. You know, these were mean, rough, tough guys. They wanted to kill David, it says. It says that they wept till there was no more strength in them, and then they decided, let's just kill David, because he must be responsible for this whole thing. David all of a sudden comes to his senses, and now after 14 months, all of a sudden it says, David seeks the Lord. David strengthens himself in the Lord his God. David begins to do this. He begins to seek the Lord, and as soon as he starts seeking the Lord, he he brings out the, 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 uh, the breastplate, the ephod, and he says to the priest, he says, let's inquire of God. And God immediately begins to speak to him, saying, you can recover all. What's amazing is that God begins to speak with him. What if somebody should reject you for 14 months? You've done everything for them, and now they reject you for 14 months, and all of a sudden they, they call you up, and they start talking to you as if nothing had ever happened before. What are you going to do? You know, you've, you've, you've tried to, to approach them. And, and uh, you know, they just had nothing to do with you. And look at what God does. He immediately starts speaking to David. He doesn't say, well, you know, you kind of forgot me for 14 months. Let's see how you fare in this by yourself now. God is not like that. I am like that. P- 
people are like that. God is not like that. God extends his hands. This is a huge failure in the life of David. Fourteen months of rejecting God. Fourteen months of walking away from God. He's living with the enemy. In fact, he's lying to the enemy the whole time. He's carrying out raids on different peoples of the land, and he's saying that he tells Ashish, the king, oh, he's been raiding the southern part of Israel, which was a lie. So he's living a lie for 14 months. You know, what do we liken this to? What do we liken it to? I mean, it, it's, it, it can be... Here's an analogy. Some Christian young lady ends up with, in a relationship with some unbelieving guy, moves in with him, and she knows this is wrong, but she persists in doing this. And all the time it's wearing at her, knowing that this can't work out. But feeling, as many young women do in that case, now somehow bound. Because once there's been a sexual relationship, there's this bonding that occurs predominantly from the woman to the man's side. The man can leave this much more easily than the woman, but the woman feels bound to this. Even knowing that it is wrong, it is improper, and it probably can't work in the long run, but just hoping for the best. It's a typical scenario with young Christian women. And then there's there's this battle within their hearts. Do I go back to the Lord? Do I go back to the church? Will I be accepted? Well, I don't know whether the church will accept you or not. It should. But I do know one thing. God will accept you. Immediately, when you start seeking God, He will accept you. This is the way God is. He accepts me. His hands are open to me. David starts seeking the Lord and immediately God speaks to him. This is the way God is. Very different than the way human beings are. Very different in the way he acts. Very different in his response. And he doesn't say to David, you know, I told you so. You know, you, you wallow in this for a while. No, immediately. He starts paving a way for David's way out of this trouble. He says, you go and attack them, and you will recover all. And so David goes and attacks, and it says that... um, When they had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. And then he had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of their other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. So David recovered everything. There is recovery in God. There is recovery. There are blunders that we make in life. And if you take believers and you track them through their lives, there are many that start out excited for the Lord. But the natural forces of life begin to wear on them as they get older. they They get married, they get children, they get a house payment, multiple car payments, and All these things tend to slow them down. And many feel that they really can't go back. What could they go back to? God is saying, come back. 
God is saying, come back. I have something for you. I have something for you. And as I was meditating on this portion this morning, I happened to read, I read a, a, a daily devotional book by uh, Charles Spurgeon. This is a short little thing, usually on my way out of the house. And it just, it just hit exactly on this. He's speaking on this verse in John chapter 6, verse 37, and it says, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. So here's what Spurgeon says. Is there any instance of our Lord's casting out a coming one? If there be so, we would like to know of it, but there has been, no, there has been none, and there never will be. Among the lost souls in hell, there is not one that can say, I went to Jesus, and he refused me. It is, it is not possible that you or I should be the first to whom Jesus shall break his word. Let us not entertain so dark a suspicion. Suppose we go to Jesus now about the evils of today. Of this we may be sure, he will not refuse us audience or cast us out. Those of us who have often been and those who have never gone before, let us go together and we shall see that he will not shut the door of his grace in the face of any of us. This man receiveth sinners, the Pharisee said, but he repulses none. We come to him in weakness and sin with trembling faith and small knowledge and slender hope, but he does not cast out. We come by prayer and that prayer broken, with confession, and that confession faulty, with praise, and the praise far short of his merits. But yet he receives us. We come diseased, polluted, worn out, and worthless, but he doth in no wise cast us out. Let us come again today to him who never casts us out. I was on the phone last night with a guy uh, uh, from another part of the world, and he had called because their board wants to sever from another part of the ministry because of, of something that, that uh, an individual said. And I said, you, you know, would you give the man another chance? Give him another chance. I said, in light of the brotherhood, this is really a very small thing. Give him another chance. You know, if God followed me through my day, or if you followed me, if you followed me through my day, for a week, every day, and kept a list of all the things I do wrong, I mean, you'd come with quite a list. Tour with speeding, driving home from work. Now, all the things that I might do. He said this harsh word to a student. Wasn't compassionate. Sent a sharp email. Now, if on top of that you could read my thoughts, you know? And he had this lustful thought. He looked upon that woman lustfully. He felt this way. He felt embittered against that man like he wanted to hit him in the face. I mean, all the things that you could write down concerning me, just in a week, it would make nobody would want to be my friend anymore. This is what God sees. He sees all of this. He sees my every thought, my every dream, everything He sees. And He says, come unto Me. Come unto Me. Say, God, why are You so good? Everybody would reject Me if they knew what goes on in the discussions in my own mind. 
in the visions in my own mind's eye, and that I even entertain these. It's not like some passing thought just happened to be there, and I go, I reject that. No. I entertain these thoughts. And God says, come to me. Come to me. And He never puts before me this litany of things. He says, come to me. Come to me. You have tremendous opportunity in your lives. Some of you will squander it. It is true. Some of you will squander what is before you because of your lack of willingness to seek this God who extends His hand to you. And how do I know this? I'm just thinking of it in probabilities. Just thinking of it statistically. I've seen it. I've seen it. I went through college and I lived in a discipleship house in my last two years of college with ten other Christian guys. And, and there was another discipleship house with another eight or so, and an, then another discipleship house with about seven or eight women in it. And we went through school, and this was just a secular school, and, and this, these homes were owned by a pastor, and he used to have Christians live there and try to have you know, people grow together. And the numbers of us that really went on with the Lord is, is fairly small. I had a practice that really helped me, helped me a lot. I would read the scriptures every day. So, I've read the scriptures every day. Since I was 19 years old, I've read the scriptures every day. And asked God to speak to me through them. Speak to me through the scriptures. This has done so much in my life. And in spite of my failures, in spite of my troubles, He has kept me close to Him. I've tried to share with my colleagues. I do that, and I do it wrong. I've offended people. I've said things wrong. I've quoted scriptures improperly. I've said things thinking that they were in the scriptures, and they're not in the scriptures. And I've challenged people wrongly, and I've driven people away from the feet of Jesus by my attitude at times. But I've continued to walk, because God is there. You have all this before you. If you make this word your meditation... And realize that it is God who beckons you. Come unto me. And he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. All may reject you. You may blow it miserably. You may end up living with somebody you know you never should have done. This happens a lot to young women. It happens a lot to young Christian men. But particularly young Christian women it happens to. Because as they get into their late 20s, they think, will there ever really be anybody for me? And then they start lowering their standards and going out with people that they know that they really shouldn't be going out to, but thinking, I'll change him. I'll do it. No, you won't. I've seen it many times. You won't. And even if he comes with you to church, it's just because he's looking to sleep with you. I mean, this happens all the time. And in the midst of that, God beckons. He's calling you back. He will in no way cast you out. Other believers may even reject you. And maybe sometimes for good reason, because sometimes I can be, I can be uh, really nasty to other people. I really can. But God, God is merciful. He calls you back. And it is Him who intercedes in the life of people. If you pray, if you pray and ask God, to provide you with the right spouse. He will do that. He will do that. And you commit that to Him. He will do that. I've been married for 29 years. 
and I love my wife so much. She is more than I ever realized when I got married. I had no idea she had all of these tremendous gifts and all this tremendous personality and that I would enjoy after all these years laughing with her and joking with her and and being next to her and snuggling up next to her at night. I mean, just how much I enjoy her. Only God knew. But something I used to do is I used to pray every day, Father, bring the right woman in my life. And God did. God answered my prayer. Go figure. God answers prayer. Huh. What a novel concept. The scriptures say you do not receive because you do not ask. So the primary reason that I don't receive is because I never asked. People say, I don't receive answers to prayer. I say, well, do you pray? <laughs> you know, you've got to pray. You've got to ask of God. Ask Him to do that. Say, Lord, what do I do in my career? How do I work with my career? Remember, I was as a postdoc at Stanford University, and I was in the lab, and many of us were interviewing for positions that year in the lab I was in and the neighboring lab. And, and so we knew each other. Everybody was just interviewing for these positions for organic chemists around the country. And the guys somewhat jokingly, but there was a real element of truth in this, said, oh, Jim will never get a job because Sudhakar is interviewing at the same time. Now, Sudhakar was this Indian fellow that knew everything. He had been studying organic chemistry from kindergarten. I mean, he knew everything. It was like, Sudhakar, how can you know this? He says, oh, there was a paper published seven years ago in such and such a journal that mentioned this. I'm like, how do you know this? At every group meeting in the evenings, when we were dissecting molecules and the professor was saying, you know, how would you do this? I mean, Sudhakar would know the answer. He wouldn't even raise his hand. When everybody else was stuck, the professor would turn to Sudhakar and Sudhakar would answer. How do you know this? So there was a real element of truth in that. And I used to go out into the... There was a, a little cactus garden across the street from the department. And I used to sit there and say, Lord, my career is before you. Father, have mercy on me. And we went out on these interviews and, and I knew who... We, we knew everybody what their schedule was because they would be leaving the same night that I'd be coming in and interviewing these places. And it's amazing. I got all the offers before Sudhakar got offers. Because God does something in the lives of people. Because what others see in us is not just what we think they're seeing. When you're filled with God, something is resonating out of you. You fill your life with God and something happens. God intercedes in the lives of people. He does. He intercedes in careers. And I've seen this in my career time and time again. I don't deserve to be where I am. I'm not smart enough to be where I am. I'm really not. People say, oh, what, what a magnanimous person. You know, you're so humble. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with truth. I'm not smart enough to be where I am. I'm not smart enough to publish the papers that I've published. Even, you know, I, I was talking with a boyhood friend. Uh, we, we were having a, a, a high school reunion a few years, uh, 30-year high school reunion. So this was a few years ago. And, and so I was talking with this old friend of mine on the phone, and he was like, how did you, how did you do this? Because he knew what I was like. I mean, I never should have been there. And he was trying to figure, how did this happen? And I said, Philip, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. God interceded in my life. 
And I am not unique. God will do this for you. You take His Word. You make it your meditation. Let Him begin to speak into your life. You commit your career to Him. You commit that to Him. And He will take it and He will use it. He will place you in the right place. He will put you in the right situation. He intercedes in the affairs of human lives. This is what is told to us in the Scriptures. And then what He is particularly good at is taking us from where we are in failure and letting us, like David did, saying to David, you will recover all. I can recover all? God, you are so merciful. You are so good. Don't squander what is before you. You take this word, you make it your meditation. You trust this God who will in no wise cast you out. And you trust in Him. And He will take your career. He knows the desires that you have deep within your heart. He will take those. And He will bring you back around to Himself. And He'll give you joys unimaginable. He'll bring people in your life that opportunities will open. I have seen it again and again. Does that mean everything has gone easy for me? No. You know, I wrote a lot of proposals that weren't funded. But, you know, as I look back over the years, I mean, sometimes I worked so hard on proposals. And I was hired as a natural products chemist. And I only don't do any natural products. My whole field is moved because I couldn't get NIH to fund my work. Severe budget cuts the first few years I was an assistant professor. I submitted 37 proposals in my first 36 months as a faculty member. I mean, that's a lot. And that was back when word processors weren't nearly what they are now. You had to leave space and draw the pictures in. You had to, and, and everything, you had to make 12 or 14 or 18 copies of something, check every page, make sure all the pages were there, put it in a box and send it, mail it, you know, mail it. You know, nothing was electronic transmission in those days. This was a lot of work doing this and filling out all the forms and everything you had to do with this. But God was good. God did that, so He moved me into an area I had no idea. He does this. He intercedes. And He takes failure, and He turns the whole thing around for good. My God is able to do this. And to, into His hands, I commit you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word, which speaks to us of the ability to recover all, which speaks to us of your goodness in never casting us out. Though all may forsake us, you never will. Father, I thank you that we can come to you weak and broken and insufficient, diseased, and yet, Lord, you welcome us. Thank you, my Father, that you don't remind us of our shortcomings, but you call us up to yourself. Father, I pray for these young people that you intercede on their lives. Father, that you take and work in their lives so that they would commit their hearts to you. Father, I pray for these young people that they would have a heart for the Scriptures, that they would learn to meditate and read your Scriptures each day from beginning to end to read the Scriptures, that you would speak to them and draw them, that you would take care of their careers and lead them into all that you have for them. By the mercies and the grace of God, I pray, O God, that you will do this. Have mercy upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.